Hi there, and welcome back to the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and thanks again for joining us here in our own part of the podcast world. Here in the Weather Lounge, we discuss different weather topics with other meteorologists and guests of our show. At the same time, we'll throw in some fun facts and our own personal weather stories. And joining me today, once again, here in the Weather Lounge is my colleague and co-host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Mike, third podcast here already in the Weather Lounge. Yeah, yeah. You there? (laughs) Yeah, delay going on your end. Maybe. Maybe I just need a little more coffee. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't, I don't know yeah, what happened It's 4 there. o'clock was... in the afternoon, Mike. I think you should be done with coffee. <laughs> anyway. Hey, uh, you know, we got a good topic here again. Um, you know, we're getting into the later part of summer. You know, mm-hmm. thoughts of fall already on the horizon. But, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, we're headed towards the peak of hurricane season. And, you know, 2020 has been active already. And uh, it's going to stay active, looks like, uh, as we continue on through September and October. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, with the hurricanes, we're always we're always watching here at Weatherworks for hurricanes for, you know, getting those forecasts out to our clients. But, Brad, we've been watching hurricanes here for for many, many years in your case, I would say. Um, yeah, uh, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> yeah, I've I've dealt with my own uh, side of tropics, you know, living in the south for several years, and uh, we'll we'll talk more about that here in a few minutes. But you know, I would say on the top of the list, though, if you live in the Northeast, and uh, just from stories I've heard, and again, I wasn't here at the time mm-hmm. um, when this hurricane impacted the Northeast, but I couldn't even imagine not only living here in the Northeast and dealing with uh, what happened with. Sandy, but I don't even want to know what was going on at Weatherworks. I mean, it had to be just crazy uh, trying to forecast that storm, let alone uh, go through it. Yeah, the forecast was crazy from the beginning. Um, You know, a lot of models showing that uh, left turn uh, just going directly into New Jersey. And um, basically, it was a pretty unbelievable track. I mean, it made sense based on how the weather was setting up and how a, a deep trough was dropping through the Ohio Valley, but it just seemed very uh, surreal for that to really happen. Um, But it did. And working at Weatherworks, you know, we were prepared. We had, you know, a a generator ready for the office. We had backup internet going, you know, so it's not that we weren't prepared. It's just that, you know, other things came up. Like it wasn't only us having no power. Um, It was also most of the northeast corridor there um not having power so you didn't have once you got on the internet which mind you it took a quite a bit of doing uh, after our one internet failed we got a dsl connection up and then we were hooking a couple computers up to it so it was a pretty slow connection but yeah. we still kept running that's for sure and we got out forecasts which is what was getting the forecast important. out getting the information out which um, even information had to be even hard to come by too that was the big issue because once you got on the internet and you looked at your observation map, there really wasn't anything there. I mean, people were out of power. Um, so the observe, observation stations were also out of power. So there was really right. nothing on the map to go by um, other than looking at a satellite and seeing where the storm center was and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, and all that. So um, it, it was a difficult storm to deal with. Um, and then we even thought to ourselves, well, we got forecasts out to people, but who knows if they're going to get them? <laughs> yeah, that's another. Uh, yeah, I never even thought about that. Yeah, I mean, the phones were ringing though, still, right? I mean, the calls were coming in. Yeah, we still had good information. Yep, we still had phone connection to that uh, aspect, so that that was all good. So, yeah, I mean, we did. 
I would say we did about the best job we can do with yeah, the situation we were given. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think a lot of our clients appreciated that, um, right. you know, throughout the uh, Northeast there. And, uh, you know, afterwards, we even uh, we even did some relief efforts going down to the Jersey Shore there. And wow. uh, we helped out uh, clean up afterwards. I think it was in November sometime uh, we started to clean up. So, um, yeah, I mean, really a memorable storm. I mean, 80 mile an hour winds were well inland, even into eastern Pennsylvania wind gusts. Uh, so trees were down everywhere. I know I had a real tough time getting home that uh, after. Yeah, Sandy. I was going to say, what about your own personal experiences? Because, yeah, you, yeah. you live in, uh, you know, down towards Lehigh Valley. And, you know, I could imagine mm -hmm. it, it was just widespread, I'm sure, everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it took me somewhere near, you know, three hours um, to get home just because everywhere I went, you know, a tree was down Locked or in. or I had to do something. There was actually a few sketchy areas where there was a power line down and I didn't mm. know, should I drive over it? You know, should I turn around? Like, what do I do? <laughs> you know, so there was a lot of, uh, you know, road closures that I had to yeah. get through. But luckily at my house, my wife uh, said that uh, they didn't lose power the whole storm, which I could not believe, um, you know, that we didn't do that. But, uh, you know, it, it is what it is. And uh, we got through it. And, uh, man, Sandy was one heck of a storm with that. Yeah, I'm sure track. everybody. Yeah, I'm sure everyone in the Northeast has their own personal story or their own, you know, right. uh, hardship with the storm, whether it was, you know, maybe losing power for several days. I know yeah. my parents, they live in the Poconos and, and, and yeah. you know, the back porch, uh, they lost to a tree and it took out their air conditioning unit. And right. it's just, and again, these are just a handful of things that we're talking about. I mean, it was just, like you said, widespread. We, we saw the devastation around New York City with the subways getting flooded right. out. And, and then and you know, that was the everything. main problem with Sandy right. was, you know, it wasn't just the wind. It was the uh, the storm surge mm -hmm. with that track going directly into New Jersey. It shoved a lot of water. Piled up all that. Oh, yep. And then a lot of our clients, a lot of the DPWs and townships along the Jersey shoreline, you know, were having f so much flooding problems from that storm surge, even though, you know, they were prepping ahead of time. They were building up their sand dunes and all that to try to, you know, mitigate that as much as possible. But, right. you know, you know, and we gave them a lot of warning about it. And it, it's just nobody, you know, getting that amount of surge is just not a natural thing to happen nope. in, in the Northeast. So, you know, that just kind of plowed through a lot of the preparation efforts, unfortunately. And, you yeah. know, even a lot of sections of boardwalk were ripped up too. Um, but, uh, yeah, Sandy, uh, man, even snowed on the backside of Sandy. <laughs> That's right. They're trying to remember seeing a West Virginia got like three feet of snow. I mean, just yeah. the way it, you know, the, the, the west but, or the, uh, I guess the east wind into the Appalachians and there was just enough cold air. And this is what was Sandy was what? Late September, right? Uh, yeah, no, it was actually, uh, in October there. That's right. It was um, in October. That's right. That's right. It yeah. Was October, late October. 2012. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it, it was possible to get enough cold air to, to mix in. That's... And that's because, you know, Sandy made that transition from a hurricane to an extra tropical extra tropical, right. Um, so that's why we were getting... Uh, able to get enough cold air on the backside of right. it but uh you know enough about sandy because man we could talk okay, about we can that. go on we can go on and on, on, and about on and sandy. On. Oh, yeah yeah uh, but um we could revisit about, sandy another day yeah definitely a whole podcast on sandy mark your calendars for that one sometime um but uh brad i mean i'm sure living in south carolina uh being on a tv meteorologist down there for a while you probably mm -hmm. had 
uh, some interesting experiences with uh, tropical storms and hurricanes also. Yeah, I mean, we had our brushes with it. Um, you know, I grew up in New Jersey, and, and I originally remember like an old, uh, you know, back in the 80s, I think it was Bob that kind of hit New England. Uh, that was kind of one of my first remembrances of, of any tropical system. But yeah, then I moved to South Carolina. And you had to deal with Hugo, 90s. right? <laughs> well, I no, Hugo was way before <laughs> I lived there. Sorry. Um, but I do, I, I, I've heard several stories about Hugo. Yeah. Um, you know, personally, the only one I really dealt with, I mean, again, we've had tropical storms now. We were threatened by a few hurricanes, but Hurricane Floyd uh, really uh, sits in my mind down there because mm. it was after our, it was our first summer actually living in South Carolina a year after we got there. Because um, I think when we got there was October of 98. So it was already past hurricane season. But uh, come September 99, we were threatened by Floyd. And we didn't know what to do or thinking, oh, we'll just uh, we'll evacuate with everyone else. And sure enough, uh, everyone got on I-26, which is like the only road out of Charleston going towards the uh, upstate. And that way you can pick up I-95. But, you know, so did uh, 200,000 other residents and I-26 turned into a parking lot. So people ended up getting stuck, running out of gas, cars overheating, going west and ended up taking six hours and we still didn't even get to I-95. We kind of wow. took some back roads and made it up to Fayetteville. Um, but of course, at that point, then the storm decided to turn and did not threaten Charleston as much and uh -huh. ended up going more towards like the Outer Banks. So it turned north and kind of paralleled the South Carolina coast. Um, so either way, we would have been okay if we stayed in Charleston, but we know any better. Mm. So eventually we made our way back towards Charleston, I guess uh, a day or two later, and all of I-26 littered with cars. And, mm. uh, you know, People abandoned them in cars because, again, they ran out of gas, they ran out of the, the cars, they overheated, and they got stuck. So it wow. was just a – it was called the Floyd fiasco. If you ever get a chance, you can Google it, and it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's got its own uh, – yeah, it's got – it may have even had its own Wikipedia page. But, uh, uh, yeah, crazy times with that one. Um, you know, it's, it, it's just something that – and now, of course, they learn from that, and they've learned how to reverse – both sides of the highway. So you actually have only can go out when there's an evacuation. So really a lot of learning came out of that. Yeah. You know, we're talking over 20 years ago, but, um, but yeah, Hugo, again, I wasn't there for Hugo and some of the stories I heard from Hugo. And one of the one things I want, I just want to quickly mention about Hugo is one thing that a lot of the, I guess, if you want to call them old timers that were there and lived there all their lives and won't evacuate for storms, which really isn't the smartest thing to do. But, you know, everyone uh, is an individual, but a lot of those folks learned how to go through hurricanes. And the one thing I remember they all told me was when the eye of the storm went over eastern South Carolina mm -hmm. and the Charleston area, they could hear a pin drop from like four blocks away or people talking just like the next block over because wow. the pressure was so low and it was in the clear spot and they could hear everyone talking. And I never thought about that. So mm. yeah, it was something weird about the, the lowest pressure. And I looked it up and I guess that's, that's how that works. So it was weird. Huh. Wow. Yeah. I, I never would have uh, thought of that. Uh, fun, fun there, facts. But... Yeah. I mean, <laughs> fun just, facts. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, they said they can hear a conversation from two blocks over, like, like they were next to them. Of course, then the, the a back edge of the eye wall came in and, and everything went all hell broke loose again, like within well, like two, absolutely. three minutes. Right. Yeah, so. no doubt. There's two parts of that. Um, yeah. But, yeah, um, so. you know, yeah, we talk about our experiences and, you know, what have happened there. But, you know, there are much more powerful systems that we personally haven't experienced. And I think one that kind of really comes to mind in recent history is is Katrina. Right, Brad? 
Oh gosh, yeah. Katrina I mean, is, uh, you know, you know, everyone again, you know, has been personally affected by hurricanes living in the southeast. But you know, top right. of the list has got to be Katrina. Yeah, and it's absolutely the thing with Katrina that we have to realize is that, and a lot of times it's what we need to realize with hurricanes. It's not just the wind; it's that storm surge um, that can be so dangerous to uh, people's lives and property. And that's what the big problem with Katrina was. Mm -hmm. I mean, you had that track coming through the Gulf. I mean, at one time it was had winds of 175 miles an hour and very well-developed storm. It did weaken some when it made its landfall just south of uh, New Orleans there to about 125 right. miles an hour, which is still incredibly strong. But it's been pushing that water all through the Gulf. And then the way you know uh, Louisiana set up there on the Gulf Coast, it piled all that water into New Orleans. And the problem with the New Orleans is, is that it's – below sea level below and it's level right yeah. yeah that's not good <laughs> and it's surrounded by levees surrounded um, by the levees yeah yeah and so those levees were supposedly rated i i think for a, a 25 foot surge or a 23 foot surge something in that range there now katrina didn't produce that high a surge i think it got up to about 13 to 16 feet of storm surge which is actually the amount of water on top of your normal tide normal tide and then right yeah, there's waves on top of that yet, too. Um, but um, the problem was is that it was able to breach those levees uh, in spots. Um, that was accompanied by that surge and accompanied by the heavy rain of over 10 inches. Those levees just couldn't hold it. And that water just started filling in, you know, just like, uh, you know, just like you were filling up a puddle. Um, right. And, no one can take uh, so much. And it was the results were obviously, you know, devastating uh, with that, um, with with so many people um, being affected in New Orleans and people losing their lives and yeah. you know, being displaced and probably not even coming back to New Orleans in some cases. You know, it, it, it's very devastating, um, you know, but I think that's what people really have to realize is that uh, it's not only the winds, it's the water. Right. Yeah. The water is always a, a big issue. Now, um, you know, one other storm that I could uh, really think of as being a meteorologist and really anyone uh, going back into the 90s. And uh, this one was more wind based. Now, again, mm -hmm. it wasn't doesn't mean there wasn't a storm surge. But, um, you know, the one other storm that really I think a lot of folks can uh, um, either relate to or remember, it was uh, Hurricane Andrew. Right. And, uh, you know, that's going back to August of 1992. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the winds, uh, they, they peaked at 175. It was a Category 5 hurricane, but it wasn't a big storm. It wasn't like a uh, like a, a, yeah. a, a, a big, like elongated yeah. storm. But it was quite compact from what I remember. Quite compact. And that's and that's probably why uh, a lot of Miami, yeah, they got hurricane force winds, but they didn't see a lot of damage. However, you know, the storm, the eye went over homestead which is only about 30 miles to the south of miami and because it was such a compact storm mm. uh, unfortunately it kind of took homestead off the map i mean it basically uh, just raked right through that area of south florida but you right. know miami was spared because of the compactness of the storm but you know folks mm. down towards homestead uh, you know devastated as it as it made its way across that part of florida and and you know the winds uh, just uh, basically swept across that area and it's still very uh, it, it doesn't lose much strength because it's so uh, mm -hmm. there's so much yeah, water still, the Everglades and everything. So uh, yeah. it was almost just like a it was like a buzzsaw that went through South Florida. But yeah, easily uh, I think Hurricane Andrew uh, stands out. 
as uh, one of our strongest storms as well. And, uh, you know, yeah. it did over $27 billion in damage. Yeah. And that's one of the things I wanted to point out is that sometimes, you know, these these hurricanes can still strengthen a little bit when they mm-hmm. make that landfall, especially over a, a very humid spot like southern South Florida there. Um, if you go back and you look at a radar, I think you can Google that. Um, look at a radar uh, or a satellite imagery of Andrew as it made landfall. Um, you'll see that like the <laughs> eye actually gets the eye wall gets more intense yeah uh, or stronger actually because it's yeah yeah, there's no there's not as much friction as there would be if it's going over some other land area but there's so much water down south florida like you said it had it didn't really lose much strength it went into the gulf and made a second landfall uh after that but it's uh it's just so uh it's so well known though for that south florida area and uh, unfortunately speaking of strong hurricanes like that would you ever go on a hurricane hunter flight brad to dive um, into one of these, I actually, I actually had the opportunity to go uh, live no. in South Carolina once, um, but it got canceled. Oh. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was actually going to go through the through our media. Um, now, my chief meteorologist I used to work for uh, at the station has been on, and he's actually an Air Force reservist, so he got a few chances to go on. But uh, it's I, I got a chance at least tour one of the hurricane hunters, right? And uh, I got to see where the you know the drop zones go in and all that yeah. good stuff and 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 i talked to the pilot i actually interviewed the pilot for a station and he said it's just it's amazing what they go through and what that plane goes through when they actually right. they they go through the eye wall basically mm-hmm. and they're flying blind and they don't know what's coming up other than what's ever is on their plane's radar but you know mm-hmm. they they punch the eye wall and then they get in, into the eye itself and it's just like it's like glorious they say it's, you can see the the blue sky above uh but the, yeah. the turbulence to get to that point um you know they get sick sometimes he, i mean he's, uh... he's been on hundreds of flights and the pilot told me there's not a time where you know he doesn't sometimes still get sick it's just the way it is i tell you what i would uh, not fare well in a hurricane fl- hunter fight yeah. i i mean i know i've gone over some thunderstorms on an airplane right. before and and you feel that turbulence i can't even imagine yeah. uh what it's like going through the eye wall of a hurricane um i, I don't even i couldn't even fathom uh, i mean i know i've seen uh I think there was a video on YouTube you could find of uh, hurricane hunters going through yeah. uh, Patricia in the in the Eastern Pacific. That was a few years back, and that was a very strong storm. And I think the guy actually like flew up like out of his seat, almost like hit his head on the ceiling. And probably still like, strapped his, in, yeah. Yeah, he was strapped in too. And if he wasn't yeah. strapped in, you know, it would have been even worse. But um, you know, it, it's amazing what those guys do, and and you even have other guys like uh, oh, there's a guy on. Um, a Twitter, iCyclone, I think is his name, Josh mm. Morgerman. And this guy's a nut. He goes out and and, and goes and finds landfalling hurricanes yeah, and goes into yeah. the middle of them and tries to get that. himself in the worst spots, uh, unfortunately. I, but that's what he does. And hopefully, he, yeah, I'm sure wow. he takes a lot of safety precautions. But yeah, that's that's sometimes what you got to do. Well, the... I don't think uh, I don't think I would be doing that, put it that way. No, no, I think I'm, I'm sure keeping myself safe, yeah, as agree, most should be doing. But, um, <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think we covered, uh, you know, our, our most memorable hurricane. We, we, we touched on a few mm-hmm. of the uh, strongest hurricanes. Um, we're going to take a break now, but uh, when we come back, we'll talk uh, about the biggest threats that come with hurricanes. And uh, along with that, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll talk about how hurricanes form, where they form, and uh, basically where they go, Mike. So uh, still uh, a lot of stuff here to get through. Uh, more of the meteorological side 
of uh of yeah. hurricanes but put uh, your we'll, uh put your science nerd glasses on or yeah. however you want to say it yeah if you That's want to uh, up next. yeah but uh, it, we'll, we'll keep it interesting as well but uh again uh, we'll take a break <laughs> and we'll be right back after this Protect your business from winter weather extremes and year-to-year variability with Snowtistics by Weatherworks. Our reports allow you to adjust your billing model, competitively price your contracts, bid for new jobs, and even yield higher profits. Whether it's a 5, 10, 15, or even 30 years of snow averages, median snowfall, or standard deviations, our zip code resolution is backed by over 34 years of reliability and accuracy by our professional meteorologists. For more information, give us a call at 908-850-8600 or visit us at weatherworksinc.com. The next time you think of weather data, think Weatherworks. Hello and welcome back to the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. And we are continuing on our hurricane topic this week. And uh, we've covered the most memorable hurricanes and a few uh, personal experiences. But uh, now, Mike, we're going to get into uh, more of the meteorological side and uh, basically where these storms form and how they form. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's uh, it's something that happens all around the globe, uh, Mm -hmm. whether it's the southern hemisphere, northern hemisphere. uh, But hurricanes, uh, they happen every single year. That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, they're named different things, you know, in different parts of the world, typhoons in the Pacific and hurricanes in the Atlantic. I, but, I think uh, uh, near uh, Australia, I could be wrong, they're called Walla Wallas or something. No, Willy Willies, I think. Willy Willies, <laughs> something like <laughs> that. Believe it or not. Yeah, that yeah, is... yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, uh, yeah, but uh, hurricanes, this is basically you need a certain amount of criteria for hurricanes to get going. So the first off is you need some type of disturbance. So some cluster of thunderstorms uh, over the uh, open water uh, of the Atlantic. We'll say the Atlantic because that's where we are most concerned about. Um, But also you need water temperatures that are 80 degrees or higher uh, in order to give enough heat and enough energy to enter uh, into these cluster of thunderstorms and keep them going and sustaining them. So right. Because basically what a hurricane is, is like a giant heat pump. It's feeding off of that heat off of the ocean to continue to sustain those thunderstorms. And the other thing you're going to need is definitely low wind shear. And what I mean by wind shear is that winds that change the higher up you get in the atmosphere. Either they change direction or they change in speed. You don't want much Um, of that. Yeah, you don't want a lot of that because otherwise it just shears off those cloud tops and just, you know, pushes the thunderstorms away from the center of circulation. Around. Right, they're, they're not able to build vertically. They're, they, right. they can go up to a point and then fall over, but you want them to continue to build higher and higher up into the atmosphere. Right. And, you know, obviously we get that turning motion, that circulation, and, you know, that's due to the, um, you know, the uh, how the planet is. Yeah, Coriolis effect is what I'm looking for. Thank you, Brad. And yeah, um, yeah certainly uh, the Coriolis effect. We won't go into why that all occurs, but um, yeah. you know that's how they get their spin. And um, yeah, basically they continue that trek across the Atlantic. And uh, as long as they remain in those favorable conditions of warm water and low wind shear, they'll continue to uh, strengthen yep. and sustain themselves. But once you get over land, or once you get into cooler water, that's when they're going to start losing their punch. Right, they they lose their fuel basically, and uh, and uh, we we've seen that you know rapidly happen as uh, storms you know uh, mm-hmm. move over land and make landfall. They 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 deteriorate pretty quickly, but the rain itself usually stays for a while, and uh, but at least mm-hmm. the wind impact is uh, quickly 
uh, decreasing, and uh, then it becomes more of a flooding concern. But uh, you know, we we talk about these storms going across the Atlantic, and and mm-hmm. you know the the big ones, if you will. Uh, develop usually over the west coast of Africa, or at least they come off the west coast of Africa, and then they start their long trek across the Atlantic. And they're called Cape Verde storms because there's a chain of islands just off the coast of West Africa. And uh, basically, it's where they're born. And mm-hmm. like Mike said, if they continue with that warm water, which usually by uh, August, September, and you know, temperatures are in the low 80s there for the water, and it'll just make its way all across the Atlantic and uh, continue to strengthen. And then kind of comes to a fork in the road usually as it gets towards the uh, Caribbean islands. And a lot of times, you know, the storm may get uh, turned out to sea, uh, go north of the islands, or, you know, it may continue to travel across the Caribbean. And mm-hmm. uh, maybe even get into the Gulf of Mexico. So again, that's what we call long track hurricanes, and those are the biggest ones and the strongest ones uh, that we uh, usually track by August and September. Yeah, and we and it's definitely I like how Brad used the analogy, used that fork in the road thing, because if mm-hmm. you go directly over those islands in the Caribbean, there, you know, you're going over uh, Hispaniola and Cuba, oh, mountainous there's, islands. There's, yeah, there's a lot of mountains and mountains. And hurricanes don't mix. Nope. <laughs> you know, the hurricane kind of gets uh, disrupted with its circulation as it's hitting those mountainous areas. Um, so it really kind of uh, hinders development of that mm-hmm. storm. Um, but the thing about it too, Brad, is not just out in the uh, Atlantic uh, where they form way out in the, you know, uh, off of Africa, but they also can form closer to the coast early in the sure. season, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes we'll get a we'll get a frontal boundary that'll kind of make its way into the Gulf of Mexico or down towards the Bahamas, and uh, yeah, like Mike said, this occurs uh, you know sometimes as early as May, and it sometimes even can happen in late October, November, where we get more of what we call homegrown storms, and and then they're not on the the long track across the Atlantic, mm-hmm. but you know at the same time they can attain. Uh, tropical characteristics. Now, granted, it's usually not the case where we'll get a Category 4 or Category 5. And we'll, we'll cover that here in just a minute. Uh, but, you know, we're more along the lines of a Category 1 or 2 hurricane uh, or at least a strong tropical system when you get something that, that develops close to the United States. But at the same time, it can create, you know, some uh, flooding issues and uh, even some low wind, uh, low uh, and uh, wind issues, but uh, you know it's the same thing. We still have the same type of storm where it's developing uh, over the water, and uh, it becomes a mm-hmm. tropical system, whether it's a tropical storm or tropical or or a hurricane. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so yeah, those are two places that are are, are uh, areas we really need to watch for tropical development. But I think um, what we really got to cover, Brad, is you know when these things get names anyway. Um, right. You know. Basically, how it goes is before we get to the Saffir Simpson scale, is typically you need to get this warm core storm, which is feeding off the water, and it's a closed circulation of uh, of uh, thirty. Not, or I'm sorry, is a closed circulation with that system, right. and then you get winds that are 39 miles an hour or more. So once you achieve those criteria, you start to give these storms names and. Mm-hmm. The National Weather or National Hurricane Center comes up with these names each year. I think they have it out for about five years or so, picked out. Six um, years. Six years. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you know that's how they eventually get their names. So they got to meet those criteria before they get to um, get one of those fancy names that the uh, <laughs> Hurricane Center yeah, hurricane comes center. up. So, and 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 the one thing too is uh, the name list. It's like I said, it gets repeated every six years. However. Uh, if a storm is uh, 
and I don't want to use this in a bad way, but if it's deserving to be retired, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of times, you know, that means that the storm either, you know, uh, created a lot of destruction or, or killed yeah. a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, it does get retired. You know, we're talking about names like Andrew and mm-hmm. Hugo and Sandy and, uh, you know, Igor and Ivan, um, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of these names ring a bell to a lot of folks, um, mm-hmm. Maria, you know, all these storms will never get used again. At least names won't. And, um, you know, whatever time they were used last, uh, right. the next time that that name comes up, it'll be replaced. So uh, that's, I think the World Meteorological Organization takes care of that. They decide uh, what names get retired and things like that. But either way, um, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, that happens mm-hmm. every six years with the storms. Yeah, some of those names are quite interesting, too, that they pick. I don't know how they quite choose these. Do they just, like, no. throw a bunch of crazy names in a hat and just yeah, I don't know. <laughs> pick yeah, them some out? Some of them are or... tough to pronounce. And in fact, the Hurricane so... Center, there's a, there's a portion of uh, their website there that has a pronunciation guide for every name for not only this year, but now for the next five years within that yeah. six-year cycle. So, it, uh, you know, it's, you know, some of them are like Mike or, or Michael, yeah. which was retired. You know, there's no pronunciation for it. But there's, there's some there that are, that are tough mm-hmm. to pronounce. And especially for um, the media folks that are, uh, you know, yeah. trying to uh, you know, explain the names and stuff. It, it could be a little tricky sometimes. Sometimes I wonder if they go with a theme of some sort, because I, I feel like a, a year or two ago, they had a bunch of names that were like Seinfeld characters. I don't know if yeah. you remember that. Yeah, they might have been. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and then, the, the, and then in the, I think next year there's ones that's like there's like Anna and Elsa. And I'm like, are they going Disney? Frozen. This year? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like what, what's what's happening here? I think the toughest one for 2020 was uh, was the ice storm. Uh, Isaias. I think that's how yeah. you pronounce it. Yeah, it was a Spanish but, name. Isaias yeah. or something. But um, um, but um, either way. Um, yeah. So, I mean, like we we're saying, they get their names, Brad, and then. You know, once they become a hurricane, they hit winds of 74 miles an hour or more, and that's when you start going through those categories that you hear on the right, news. Right, they get so categories uh, categorized by the Saffir Simpson scale, named after right. Doctor. There's two doctors, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, and uh, that's how you got the Saffir and Simpson there. Um, uh, fun fact: meteorologist Sherilyn Graham, uh, not Graham, sorry, Patrick, that we uh, <laughs> work with. <laughs> She has cats named Saffir and Simpson. Oh, yes, that's that? right. That's right. Fun fact for meteorologists, <laughs> uh, WeatherWorks staff. For yeah. WeatherWorks meteorologists. There you go. Um, but uh, anyway, um, so, you know, category goes one through five, basically, one being yeah, the category storm. too, Mike. You see that? You see what oh. you did there? Oh, I thought you were, oh, sorry. Oh, I see. Because of the cat category thing, for it, Sherilyn's okay. cats. All right. Anyway. That was being joke. serious. Moving on. Oh. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Moving on. Okay. <laughs> okay. So with the categories there, it goes from one through five, um, category one being the weakest, category five being the strongest. So uh, and once you get to category five strength, you know, we're talking about winds of 157 miles an hour or more um, that are sustained. So we're not talking about just gusts. We're talking about sustained winds. So winds, you know, for a long period of time are going to be in that uh, caliber. Um, so that's what makes it so destructive just because of the, the intensity for such a long period um, as that eye. And it's mostly in the eye wall. That's the strongest part of the hurricane. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, and uh, a lot of times they call them major hurricanes, too, after you get to Category 3. Category 3 and higher, yeah. And, and, yeah. and if, you know, you, if you get hit by a Category 3, 4, or 5, you know, yeah, there, there's a there's the Saffir Simpson scale for that. But you know what? Either way, if you're getting towards a category three, you know, just 
you got to take that stuff really seriously and you can't just say, oh, right. well, there's a hurricane coming. But, you know, these are the types of hurricanes that, that are the most destructive and, and right. cause most fatalities. And eventually, uh, unfortunately, too, there's the ones that get retired, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I don't know, Brad, I think we covered all the technical aspects here of the storms. I mean, I think if anybody has any questions, you could certainly um Give us a, a shout out there on social media, Facebook, Twitter, um, you know, Instagram. We're on all those, right, Brad? Yeah, and, we're, uh, we're on all different platforms. You know, we're easy to find our uh, website, weatherworksinc.com. We have a YouTube channel. Uh, you know, we do a lot of videos. And, uh, you know, from time to time, too, we'll, we'll have a, we'll have a, I guess, if you will, if you will a, 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 a podcast uh, that may just be out of the blue where something's happening or there's a very uh, high impact current weather mm -hmm. event going to happen. You know, we, we may do a, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, uh, I don't a know, like a quiz or something. Pop, yeah. What's it called when you have like a pop-up quiz in school? Or <laughs> I don't like know a, where you're going with this actually. Impromptu. <laughs> impromptu. No, impromptu is the word. We, we'll have okay. an impromptu podcast. There we go. Um, uh, you know, and even when we get into wintertime, we'll, uh, you know, we may focus on some, uh, some snowstorms or maybe some big blizzards. Uh, hard yeah, to believe absolutely. There were, thinking about winter time but uh no. that that's our uh that's our time to shine though that's for sure well in the meantime we'll continue to produce these podcasts every two weeks here as we go through the fall season and in through the winter but uh guys hey thanks for uh, being here today and thanks for listening and uh we'll see you back in the next two weeks right here in the weather lounge